One of the difficulties of the Christian life is learning to balance, or shall we say integrate, bring together, the teachings of Jesus to love our neighbor, to turn the other cheek, to not resist the one who is evil, but then to recognize that sometimes there is a moral imperative to take a stand and say no and push back. We see both of those things in the Bible, and sometimes we can feel paralyzed between these two things. And what we're going to see today is how best to do that. Far too many people allow themselves to be steamrolled by life and say they're obeying Jesus as they do it. Whether that's steamrolled by their government, steamrolled by their boss, steamrolled by relationships, their wife, their husband, even their children sometimes, friends, neighbors, societal peer pressure. Many folks, they, they don't know it's not right, but they don't have the courage to step up or they think because of what Jesus said that they'd be doing something wrong by resisting that or shall we say refusing that. But we also have to avoid the other extreme because there are some folks that know we've got to say no. They know what Jesus said and then they say, you know what, forget what Jesus said. This is what must be done. And that's not good either. That's how you get angry and violent and vengeful and end up saying things like, what do we need the gospel for anyway? How many parachurch ministries have said exactly that? So you know we're a Christian organization but really this gospel thing is just getting in the way. Well here's the lesson. I'll go ahead and state it for you at the beginning. A Christian is never to retaliate against compulsion. Let me say that again. A Christian is never to retaliate against compulsion, but a Christian is to refuse to be compelled. Let me say that again. A Christian is never to retaliate against compulsion, but a Christian is to refuse to be compelled. You try to make me do something that's not right, I'm not coming at you, but you better believe I'm not doing it. And this is not just in matters of worship and theology, as we're going to discuss today. The context of this story is government persecution. And we'll talk about that. But you've got to recognize this extends beyond something that obvious. They tell you, bow down and worship the golden image or we're going to cut your head off. Okay, you need to say no. But what about around the dinner table? When you know something is right and you refuse to step up and say something. How about at your job when you're brought in for sensitivity training and they want you to sign something that is opposed to the words of Jesus Christ? Every area of life. Luke 9.26, Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me, we get that bit, but he also says, and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Not just ashamed of the name of Jesus, ashamed of the word of Jesus. Not just of the church and of the gospel, but of the application of the gospel. The commandments of scripture. If you set a pattern in your life of giving in to compulsion, you will end up stuck and bitter. You will hate the person that you are knuckling under to. There is a difference between submitting to the government authorities and giving in to compulsion to sin. Submission is voluntary. I know who my Lord is and I'm serving him. But like the Lord himself, Jesus, and the martyrs who have gone before us, we as Christians have to refuse to be compelled. To bookend the story today, we're going to talk about Polycarp. Polycarp was a 
early Christian martyr. He was in the first link in the chain after the apostles. And he was arrested. And when he was arrested, they respected him as an old man. They brought him into the carriage. And I'm going to quote from the, the writing here. What they were trying to have them do is offer incense to an image of Caesar and declare Caesar is Lord. Well, we only have one Lord and we don't burn incense to anybody. Well, they tried to persuade him saying, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering incense and thereby saving yourself? They're saying, you don't have to believe it, old man. Just do it. Now, at first he gave them no answer. But when they persisted, he said, I am not about to do what you are suggesting to me. They bring him in. They try to bribe him. They try to persuade him. They try to cajole him. They try to intimidate him. And when they're all done talking, he says, no. Just no. And this is what we're going to see today in our story. Let's begin in verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. A cubit is 18 inches, so 90 feet approximately. And its breadth, six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There is no time stamp on this story. We do not know how long after the previous stories this was. Hebrew tradition tells us that this took place in the same year that Jerusalem fell. But the text itself does not say that. It probably, at the very least, was years later. Nebuchadnezzar erects an image of 90 feet high, 90 feet wide. This would have made it uh, much like an obelisk in its appearance, kind of like the Washington Monument, something like that would have been gilded wood, not solid gold. They would have carved these images out of wood and overlaid them with gold, much like the Ark of the Covenant and that sort of thing. At Dura, there are many locations in the Babylonian Empire that we know of named Dura because Dura means like dwelling place. It's a very common name, but we know for sure it was a Babylonian name, which gives historical credence to this story. All the officials had to come and pay homage at the sound of the music. And this is where we get some of those Greek uh, instrument names. One of them is called the symphonia. And you can hear that. It's a very Greek, right? It's where we get the word symphony. And people say, ah, see, Greek words in this Aramaic book. So therefore, it must have been written much later. Or it was an instrument that they had brought from Greece, and that was its real name. 
Now, this was primarily a political move by Nebuchadnezzar. He's consolidating his kingdom, every tribe, every nation, every people. But the form of compulsion that it took in order to unite the kingdom was worship of his gods. Perhaps this image even looked like him. It doesn't tell us what it looked like, just that it was big and it was made of gold. And they were to worship it. So some people want to say, it's ridiculous that they said no. He wasn't trying to get them to worship, although it says worship, doesn't it? But they were just trying to, to pay homage to the king. Well, when paying homage to the king involves bowing down to a golden image of the king and worshiping the king, sorry. I might have voted for you, but I'm not doing that. I don't care who you are. What we see here is how similar this is to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream from the last chapter. Remember, he was the head of gold, arms and chest of silver, bronze, iron, and then the feet of iron and clay. But when he makes a statue, it's all gold. You can see in this a refusal to acknowledge that eventually my empire will end and a refusal to acknowledge that the kingdom of God, the rock that smashed it into pieces and grew into a mountain, that kingdom will never overtake my kingdom. This is tyranny, plain and simple. This is compulsion upon another. And in order for our purposes today, we're going to define compulsion as anything that somebody else does to violate the conscience of another person. Whether this is at the point of a gun or at the point of an awkward silence. Trying to get somebody else to violate their conscience. Christians in China were required a couple years ago to take down the steeples off of their building so that nobody could see them in the skyline. They also were required to hang up pictures of Mao Zedong and Xi Jinping in their churches and take down all the pictures of Jesus that they had. That's compulsion. Now, they weren't required to worship them, but they were still required. You have to do this. Of course, back in the Soviet Union, Christians would be sent away for re-education. This is something that people forget quite often. Although, go to Russia and talk to our friends there. They don't forget. Christians were included in that group, those groups that were sent away. It wasn't just Jews. It wasn't just this or that group. It was Christians as well, because Christians are the enemy of the state. Because in the Marxist thought, the state is the highest good. Religion is the opiate of the masses. And we've got to get rid of religion and establish something godless so that people stop looking to something else for their help. And therefore, Christians were sent to the gulags. I think if more people were conscious and aware of that, we might be less inclined to go after that same ideology today. But let's look at a more personal level. When your boss calls you in and your whole HR department brings in and they're going to talk about LGBTQ plus sensitivity training, and you've got to sign a pledge that says, I promise to be an ally of this, this or that group. I promise to repent of my cis-heteronormativity. I promise to never allow this to you know, to be criticized. I promise you, and you know, it means nothing to you or anybody else signing it, but you're still signing it. That's compulsion. It can even be in a family when mom or dad or both together are trying to push their kids around in such a way that the kids cannot grow up and be independent on their own. You know, we talk about all these young men living in their parents' houses and not moving out. Yeah, well, a lot of that has been as a result of mom or dad Structuring things in such a way that the kid doesn't want to leave. It's compulsion. So, well, that's, that's, that's different. That's not the same thing. Oh, yes, it is. Because that kid is supposed to go out and make something of his life as God intended him to. To go out, to be fruitful and multiply. To live out the life that God has called him to, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. And when the family gets together to keep everybody still, that's compulsion. Or when people let a strong personality run the church. 
Not the pastor, not the elders, not those that have been there the longest, not the most spiritually mature, but somebody who walks in and makes it her business to know everybody else's business and make them do what she wants. And everybody knows what's going on, but nobody puts a stop to it. It's compulsion. Because everybody gets in the car and complains about it. You wouldn't do it otherwise. It's compulsion. The husband in a marriage who has just given up leading his wife and lets her push him around and decide what everything is going to be done. And he sits back and says, well, I hate this, but you know what? I'm done fighting it. The fires of peer pressure can be as intimidating as any fiery furnace, especially in families. How do you know when you're letting yourself be compelled? When you get mad about it later on when you're alone. Why did I let that happen again? Why did she talk to me like that? What does she think I am? This is ridiculous. I can't, I've been working here 30 years and they're going to make me do something like that. I can't believe and you, But you won't say it in front of anybody else or anybody else that will do anything about it. That's when you know you're being compelled. I want to say very briefly, Christians don't compel people. Jesus didn't even do that. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says, We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But here's how we do it. By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Commend everyone's conscience? What does that mean? It means they say, well, at least he's honest. At least you know what he thinks. So if anybody in here is a master of passive aggression or manipulation or getting your way all the time and it's not coming by the plain open statement of the truth, stop. And that's my only word for you today. Just stop. Verse 8, therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward. Remember Chaldeans were the religious elite and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Well, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pointedly not using their Hebrew names. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. Lie. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image. That part was true that you have set up. Their co-workers accused them before the king of failing to bow. It is entirely possible that the ceremony was over and this happened later. The king thought everything went well. Rakshak and Benny didn't show up. But apparently these three did not bow despite their position as high officials in the province of Babylon. Where is Daniel in this story? He's not in it. I don't know what to tell you. But I think what we can see of Daniel later on, he did not bow to worship the golden image either. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar knew that and sent him on a diplomatic mission to China or something like that. So that way I don't have to lose Daniel. I know he'll never do that. Or maybe the king had already kind of made his peace with who Daniel was and wasn't going to make him. Or we don't know. It just doesn't say, so we're going to give Daniel the benefit of the doubt here. But these people come and they, they tattle on the three boys, or men at this point probably, And you've probably seen that too. In situations where compulsion is happening, whether from the top down or whether from the bottom up, there will always be people who thrive under systems like that. And they want to see old scores settled. So they wait for you to mess up and then they go and they say, ah, he didn't do it. Ah, teacher, he wasn't paying attention. He doesn't know. Or maybe they want to see scalps taken. Maybe they really don't have anything against you personally. They just really get a kick out of seeing people fall. 
This whole idea that everybody is nice and everybody wants the best is just not true. There are some bad people. Like, why would you do this? No reason. They just like seeing people get embarrassed and shamed. You get informers at the corporate level. These people that always want to report on, he, read, he reads his Bible during, during lunchtime. That's not allowed. And so you, know, you, you get called in, hey, so somebody has said that you know, you've been talking to people about Jesus, about religious matters. Well, who? Well, I don't want to say. It was a Chaldean. That's who it was. It was somebody wanting to come and get you in trouble and enforce the compulsion even if you managed to escape it. Tattletales, all grown up. Same kind of people from when you were a kid. Remember when you were in children's ministry and somebody would say, teacher, he had his eyes open while we were praying. You ever hear that one? I thought that was ridiculous even as a child. Well, how did you know? Your eyes were open. No, they weren't. (laughs) But this can happen around the dinner table too. It's not just the people that are going to report you to the SS or report you to the KGB. This, This can be people who know that mom is pushing you around. And know that mom is emotionally manipulating you. And they let it happen. Because they don't want it to happen to them. Or maybe it's happening to them too. And they know I can get in good with mom by saying, did you hear what he said about you? You hear what she said about you? And now there's a big stink. Or sometimes it's a little clone of the manipulative mom who's just in their you know, larva stage. And they're going to get there eventually. But right now what they do is they bring you up on trial in front of everybody. Or when you, dad, step in and you say, this is no longer good. We've, we can't keep letting the kids run amok like this. We've got to get a handle on the budget, we, whatever it is. And then maybe you get accused, falsely accused. You don't love me. You don't love these kids. Why would you do this to me? You never cared about me. False accusation. Matthew 10, Jesus said, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. There's no zoo in the world that would do that except at lunchtime. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Jesus said, watch out, there's wolves everywhere. I'm saying, off you go, Fluffy, into the wolves, there you go. He's trying to tell us that we're not surprised. Twitter mobs that try to get people fired. Chaldeans. People, here's, here's how compulsion can work. When they're not the ones that made the rule, but you say something. Maybe you say something like, you know, I, I just really don't think that this whole transgenderism thing is good for children. <gasps> how could you? Did you hear what he said? And, all, and they're now loud and letting everybody know. It's an attempt to hold it over your head. Maybe you've got pushy cousins. Well, she's decided that she's a lesbian, and if you don't support that, then you're out of this family, and I don't ever want to see you again. They didn't make the rules, but they're helping to enforce them. You have seeming friends who will knife you later. There are people, you've encountered people like this, that they, they have a tiny little bit of power, but they abuse it to the utmost. I'm talking like places like Burger King. I'm serious, where you see this, and it's like, you know, they don't want to get your food on time. They mishear your order on purpose. They want to get loud with you, even though all you're doing is ordering French fries, right? And I, you sit back sometimes and you go, you put a gun in this kind of person's hand and you tell them to enforce some law, this is how you get oppression. There are people like that. And there are people like that in your life. You work with them. Maybe you eat Thanksgiving dinner with them. I'm not sure. <laughs> Consider the anger and the mockery that has been aimed at somebody like Ken Ham. Ken Ham, the founder of Answers in Genesis. I don't care what you think about that ministry. That is the bravest guy that the world has ever seen. 
I'm going to stand up and make my entire life about denying the truth of evolution. Nobody likes that guy, unless you're a Christian. Even most Christians are like, I wish he would just stop. Why? Because you disagree? No, because it's embarrassing. Shame on us, right? But he gets out there and he says, his whole life he's being mocked, he's being accused. He's not towing the line, but he's willing to step up and do it. There are Chaldeans out there, Christian. Not everyone is your friend. If you don't know that now, know it now. Some of y'all that haven't gone off to college yet, you're going to get into school, you're going to hear your teacher say a bunch of ridiculous things about the gospel. And you think, well, teachers have said ridiculous things my whole life. Who cares? But then you'll find out that there are kids sitting in that class with you that are more than willing to be the guard dogs for that ideology. Verse 13, then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, that's usually how we find Nebuchadnezzar, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered them and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Time out, by the way. So much for this being just a political thing, right? You don't serve my gods. Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Blasphemy. In a furious, violent rage. Remember, this guy was... A soldier, and not just, you know, not like a noble American citizen soldier. This guy was like back in the day, we're going to skin people alive and throw their heads back to the enemy kind of soldier. And now he's supposed to rule in this court with a bunch of civilized people. And he's been told, they refused to do what you wanted. People that didn't make the rules, but they're trying to enforce them. And he drags them forward. He asks them if it's true, which, well, at least he did that, right? But then he gives them a second chance, threatening them, blaspheming God. The last time somebody did that in the Bible, it was Rabshakeh, the general of the Assyrian army, who said, there's no God that can deliver you. And God goes, oh, really? And he showed up and he killed 185,000 of them in one night with an angel. Nebuchadnezzar's not going to have that happen, but he is going to be made to look real silly. But let's pause on this point here. When you first say no to being forced to violate your conscience... Whether that's enabling dad's alcoholism or refusing to bow down to worship the golden image. The first thing the devil will often do is play nice. He'll say, I'll give you everything you want right now if you will capitulate. You want peace? You just want to go and live your life? I'll let you live your life. Just burn incense to Caesar. You want money? You want to be able to keep your job? Keep your job. I won't tell anybody that you did it, but you've got to sign it. I've got to have it on file. You want to live your own life? You want to be able to get out and spread your wings? Oh, yeah, you know, that's fine. But, you know, today, I need you today. Matthew 4, the devil took Jesus up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give to you. That's what you want anyway, Jesus, right? A kingdom that's going to grow and cover the world? What are we fighting for? I'll give you the world now. If you will fall down and worship me. Your boss will offer you a raise and a promotion. You're finally going to put a stop to your abusive husband by saying, I'm not putting up with this anymore. And he gives a heartfelt speech with tears on his knees. The state says, look, everybody that is not, has not 
you know, signed the document, who's not bowed the knee yet. We're waiving all fines and punishments. There's a grace period. This is what they say. Just give me this one. That's what abusers always say. Just give me this one. Just this time. Let's do it this time, then we'll never do it again. Uh, if you give me money now, I, I, I need it. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm not going to use it for the right thing. But next, I'll never do it again. I'll be able to get out from underneath it, and then I'll be able to. Remember when Peter ate with the Jews? He was eating with the Gentiles, and they're all together. But then some folks came up from Jerusalem, former Pharisees, a bunch of legalistic people that didn't want Jews eating with Gentiles. So what does Peter do? He stops eating with the Gentiles and starts eating with the Jews only. He starts keeping kosher again. Because what's he thinking? Well, I'm the apostle that's kind of over all of this. I really need to make sure I maintain the peace. And obviously the gospel came to the Jews first. So I'm really not going to, this wasn't good. And we're all still one in Christ. And that's the most important thing. Paul said, I withstood Peter to his face. He says, you lousy hypocrite. When they're not here, you act just like them. So what is wrong with you, Peter, in front of all these people? Where's your courage? Where's your backbone? Where's the guy that stood up on Pentecost and proclaimed to all those people, you crucified the Lord of glory? Where's the guy that rejoiced to be beaten by the Sanhedrin and now you're defeated by the disapproving looks of some old men in the church? Thank God for Paul. Thank God for Paul who refused to see through the, the ruse. Look, we'll worship with Gentiles. We'll let them into the church as long as we don't see each other. And Peter was like, that seems like a good compromise. And Paul smacked him upside the head and said, no, it's not. You know, you bow down, have our own little private ceremony in front of the golden image. Nobody will have to see you. And then we'll, we'll go on our way. Uh, no. The answer is no. This kindness is just a strategy. And y'all, when the devil does this, when somebody who's been pushing you to violate your conscience and you push back once and they get all nice with you about it, don't fall for it, but recognize that you're winning. You're doing something right. Because this is what people will do. People who are pushy and people who are abusive, people who are controlling, they will try to use any tactic they can. And if loud isn't working today, well, maybe nice will work today. We don't evaluate the situation to determine whether or not we're going to obey God's word. Well, they said we can do it privately. They told Polycarp, you don't have to mean it. Well, they told me nobody else will know. They told me that this is the last time for sure. No, it's not going to be an ideal situation, but it'll be better than this one. The only thing that you evaluate to determine if you're going to obey God's word is God's word. I'm sorry, I'm not going to take a public stand against Jesus Christ. I'm not going to stand for some corporate kumbaya where we say all faiths are equal. I do not believe that and I won't stand for it. I'm not going to call your, your child by her new name or use her new pronouns. I'm not going to do it. Oh, come on, look, I, I know, look, but this is just, they're going through a thing, and just look, they're really having a rough time. I'm worried about them. Just, look, please, just for today, and then we'll address it next time. No, I won't do that. I won't do it. All these things I'll give you if you bow down and worship me. The goal is not to fix the situation. The goal is to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They're not being sarcastic. I've heard that preached. Say, I don't got to say nothing to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. That's not what they're saying. Look, there's nothing to say. We're not doing this. There's no argument. There's no debate. The answer is no. If this be so, meaning if we get thrown into that fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. <laughs> They're respectful. They are submissive to the authority that God has established as much as they are able to. But they fear and they trust God more. They said, God can deliver us out of this fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not doing this. I'm not bowing. I'm not singing. I'm not worshiping your golden image, King Nebuchadnezzar. If we burn up, we burn up. This is the picture of what it means to refuse to be compelled as a Christian. Not resistance. Not, if you try so much as to do this, we'll rally all the Jews in the country and we'll storm the citadel and we'll take you, Nebuchadnezzar, we'll tear your statue down. They just said, no, we're not doing this. Bold as a lion and yet gentle as a lamb. You cannot make me do anything. That's how you have to define a Christian. A Christian cannot be made to do anything except by Jesus Christ. Bold and gentle. Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles told the Sanhedrin council, we must obey God rather than men. Where's the line? When your conscience, when your, your, the line of sin is being crossed, we don't cross it. It doesn't matter who, who it is. Even if it's me. Don't let me persuade you to sin. I wouldn't. But I, I also must take heed lest I fall. That's why we have accountability about me and all of us here. If you are in a situation where you must say no, you need to say no. Not just try to wiggle out and hope that it passes you by. You've got to be prepared to stand up, look them in the eye, and say no with courage and resignation. What does resignation mean? Well, whatever you do to me, I'm prepared to endure that. People do not know how to handle that when that happens. When people just say no when they refuse. It's like any negotiation. If you can't walk away, you have no real power. If you're trying to buy a car and you need this car, they can smell it. And they will stop negotiating. They'll stop going down on price because they know you need it. It's like if you ever tried to buy like toiletries in an airport before, that tube of toothpaste will be $9.48. Seems like a lot for toothpaste. Well, you can go somewhere else if you want. I'm in the airport, I can't go anywhere else. Then the price is $9.48. If you can't walk away, you have no negotiating power. Which means when you face up against the devil or somebody trying to compel you to violate your conscience, you better be prepared to walk away. In relationships, this means you've got to be prepared to blow up the status quo. You've got to be prepared to lose friendships. You've got to be prepared to let it be awkward and cold between you and your wife for a while in order to fix this. Don't take that to mean, well, I can walk away from my marriage because that's not what I'm talking about. This must be rooted in a fear of God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, don't fear people who can destroy your body. Fear God who can destroy body and soul in hell. He said, listen, I am way more intimidated by my God than by you. People will do this. They'll throw accusations at you. They'll hold things over your head. They'll try to browbeat you. But you've got to be liberated from every job. I'm willing to lose this job for Jesus' sake. If you're not, you better get on your knees and get there. Because the devil knows. It's like that car salesman. He says, if, he, if I know that he needs this job and he won't leave no matter what, I'm just going to make his job make him do all these things. Why are we giving these corporations so much authority over different areas of our life? I don't get that. 
Well, they told me that I'm not allowed to talk about that. They can't tell you that. They have no right to tell you that. Well, they'll fire me. Okay. Okay, that's why you make yourself indispensable as a great worker. You have a great Christian work ethic so that they need you. And now all of a sudden, these ridiculous policies are costing them something. If you're a lousy worker and you show up late and you're lazy and you say, I'm not doing that, but, you know, I've been looking for an excuse to fire you anyway. You've got to be liberated from every relationship. If you're not willing to lose friends, your friends will walk all over you. I'm not saying you've got to cast off your family, but look, if you're not prepared to have some distance for a while between mom and dad, mom and dad will run you sometimes. Some of y'all are way too old to be calling and asking your mom for permission to do things. Some of you moms need to stop requiring that of your grown children. You've got to be willing to let that go. I'm not going to, this friend, he knows that we're best buds and I, friends will do this to you. You ever know somebody that had a friend that wasn't good for him? And this friend, like, she's taking advantage of you. Or some, some girl, fellas, some girl that comes up to your friend. This would never happen to anybody in here, but she comes up to you and she's using you. She's, never, she's not in love with you. She's never going to date you. She's never going to do any of that. But she'll get you to do stuff. And if you're not willing to walk away from that, she's going to keep doing it. Trust your guy friends. They're shrewd. They're smart. They know. You've got to be liberated from every possession. Are you willing to give up that house? Start obeying the Lord? Every prestige? Are you willing to be publicly shamed and humiliated? Canceled, we say sometimes. Are you ready for that? Because if not, the devil has something with which he can manipulate you. You say, oh, you can have that, you can have that, you can have that. Oh, but you can't have this. That's what the devil goes, now I got you. Now I got you. I found the one thing that you have not given up. Which is why Jesus tells us when you come to him, you've got to what to yourself? Die to yourself. I'm already dead, devil. There's nothing you can grab hold of. Well, I'll kill you. Well, send me to heaven. Do me a favor. How do you push around somebody like that? Answer, you can't. You've heard the story, I'm sure, of the, the Christian in, in Leesburg, Virginia, who, Loudoun County, as everybody knows, the guy that went up and he went in front of his school board and he said, I will not be adhering to the gender policies of this school board. I won't be keeping secret the child's transition from their parents or using their new names or using their new pronouns because I'm a Christian and I won't do that. You know, that's a Calvary Chapel brother that did that. Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia is a Calvary Chapel. And he did that. That's, I mean, he wasn't looking to have some big national thing, but what happened? What happened? Everybody found out about it. And now what's happened? Because of that, because of one guy willing to lose one job in some rinky-dink little school board somewhere, it's happening everywhere now. Christians are bold enough to stand up to that now. The churches have grown in that area. The entire government flipped over in that state because one guy stood up and said no. Because he was willing to let it go. If he was desperate to hold on to that job, it would have been trouble. Martin Luther, before the Reformation really went down, like he'd been preaching, he'd been writing all this stuff. But before it got really nasty, they dragged him up in front of the cardinal, in front of the emperor. They laid out all of his writings and they said, do you recant what you've written here? And you know what he famously said, unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. Did it all work out for him after that? 
Not right away it didn't. He had to go into hiding because they were going to execute him. But he said no. He said it loud. He said it with his chest. He looked him in the eye. He said it publicly. You've got to be prepared to refuse. This is not resistance to compulsion. It is a refusal to be compelled. I don't care what the mission statement of this organization is. I'm not part of that. Whatever it might be. If it's not in Christ, we're not with it. That's why Christianity is the ultimate counterculture. We're so counterculture, the counterculture is in line with the main culture in hating us. Because they're all following the same lie. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Oh, really? And the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. In the words of True Grit, probably in the assumption it'd make them more dead. <laughs> and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Well, the king's true face is shown. He goes, let me talk to him. I've had trouble with these Hebrews before. You just, you just got to show them who's boss. Show them a little kindness. You know, they, they can't be bought cheap. But let's just do what we can. And then they refuse. And now he shows his true colors. These fiery furnaces was probably what was similar to a lime kiln. It was a giant furnace. I mean, they're big enough for four people, right? It was big. It had a spout at the top. And it had a thing at the bottom where the flames could belch out. They dropped them into this thing. They heated it up seven times hotter without any delay. Fully clothed. What does this mean? It means it happens now. Pour oil on the fire. Stoke it up. Use the bellows and throw them in. And it was so hot that it killed the soldiers holding them. Just in case you thought, well, it wasn't that hot of a fire. Can I tell you something that maybe you've been lied about before? You are not promised a shield from difficulty as a Christian. If anybody ever told you that, they were wrong. Might have been well-intentioned, but they're wrong. So when you step up and you say no to somebody, you refuse to be compelled, you say, I'm not violating my conscience one second longer, You'll get thrown into the fiery furnace. Your dad will blow up over the dinner table at you. Your child will say, fine, then if you can't support me, then I'm leaving. You're never going to hear from me again. Many a man has been unmanned in trying to lead his family because of his wife's tears. And many women know that and will use that to get their way. You get fired. I took a stand and they fired me. Where are you, God? He's right there with you. Or you get reprimanded. You'll lose opportunities. You are going to be on this committee. Not anymore. We don't need someone like you being the face of this organization. Or you just get shamed. I mean, it's, when you're getting shamed online, you just close the laptop. It's no big deal. But sometimes it's just people all around you shaming you, looking at you different. In the worst cases, fines, imprisonment, and even death. But this is what needs to happen. When a situation is messed up, there's got to be one man brave enough to step forward and take it on the chin. If everybody is afraid of that initial first blow, then it will never happen. It all has to come down. This relationship with your parents and your sister and brother is not working anymore. This thing with your, your daughter or your son, you can't keep uh, supporting that. 
and endorsing and funding that. You can't keep letting this new boss pushing you around and slowly taking you away from Jesus. You can't, refu- you can't allow yourself to be silenced when it comes to the gospel. What did Jesus say about this? Here's, a, here's your daily bread promise of the day. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. That's what it means to be a Christian. You will be hated by all. So when our culture hates us, don't panic and think something has gone wrong. It's kind of, we get that backwards. We say, the church has failed and now the people hate us. Uh, The opposite of that is true. The church refused to move and now the people hate us. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, verse 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, that's Jesus, they called him Satan, how much more will they malign those of his household? You are following the Son of God who was hated, beaten, falsely accused, and executed. Why do you expect any different? Make me more like Jesus. You really want to be more like Jesus? I know you do, but you got to know what it means. Be willing to endure all of that. We love the story of Martin Luther and John Calvin and the magisterial reformers that brought about the, the Reformation. But before that, you had guys like Jan Hus saying the same things, but they got burned alive. It's like, that's not really a happy end of the story. Well, the story's not over yet. It's not all about you. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who refused to go along with the way the Nazis were taking over the German church, founded the Confessing Church, was executed. Death is what it takes sometimes. But can I tell you this? Because some of y'all are in the middle of this. You've refused. You've said no. Whether that's with your family, whether that's at work, whether it's on a national level. You've refused and now you're in the fire. Can I just tell you it's worth it? Because you'll wonder if it's worth it. Yes, it's worth it. Your integrity is worth the trouble you get for refusing to violate your integrity. Because you violate it and what? You feel like garbage. I can't believe I did. I can't. I let her do that to me again. I let him push me around again. I went through the, through the training again. I can't, why do I keep doing this? That's so much worse than people not liking you. And in fact, it is the threat of trouble that binds so many people. The reason we're not setting this marriage right to where One person's not pushing around the other, but the husband is leading and the wife is submitting. The reason it's not right is because I know that if I bring this up, it's going to be trouble. And there's going to be tears and there's going to be shouts. And we might even be separated sexually for a while. And I don't know if I can put up with that. And that's the threat that's held over your head to keep things messed up. So you've got to embrace that and say, I despise this shame like Jesus did. This is the hardest part, but look, if you're already dead, bro, you can bear that. I'm already dead. I've already lost everything in Christ Jesus. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I've been crucified. Well, I don't think we want to hang out with you anymore. All right. Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected by men. And the Three boys here were thrown into the fiery furnace. Furnaces come in all shapes and sizes. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. 
and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. As we sang this morning, there was another in the fire. One light, and this is the, you know, this is Aramaic. This is a Babylonian guy. He says, there's a, there's a God. There's a God, a little G God in that fire. And now the question becomes, was this an angel or was this the one and only son of the one and only God? I'm inclined to think it is. There are a lot of people that are just no fun at all that write big, long books about how ah, it was just an angel. Yeah, maybe. But the angel of the Lord is quite often a stand-in for our pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The point is that God was there. You think to yourself, how can I endure all that trouble you just talked about? How can I walk away from spending Christmas with my parents? How can I pack up my desk and clear out my cubicle and walk past all these snickering people that I know are going to stab me in the back and rip me up and down as soon as I leave? How can I take all those angry texts and emails and Facebook messages I'm going to get if I take a stand here? How can I sing praises in a concentration camp as Corey Ten Boom and her sister did? Because of what the Lord said in Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. You will find strength in those moments you never thought you had. Sometimes it's the strength just to keep going. When you know your nerves are shot, you're exhausted, you can't take it another second, and you say, I'm about to collapse, and you stand back and you go, but I'm not collapsing. I felt this way yesterday, and I'm still here. I'm still going. God gave me one more day. That's the strength of the Lord walking with you in the fire. Sometimes you're in this situation and you go, I don't know, what, what am I supposed to say to him? I'm going to go in and tell my boss I can't do this, that I can't fix the books anymore, or that I can't sign these weird woke pledges that everybody has to sign that says, denounces the faith as just some other thing, some other form of oppression. I can't do it. What am I going to say? Jesus told us, don't worry about it. I'll give you what to say. You'll, you'll be in that moment and you'll say something and you'll walk away and you go, wow, where'd that come from? That was really smart. What did I say again? That was really good. Well, it didn't come from you, did it? It came from the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Or sometimes the, the pain is not reduced, but you just have an overwhelming sense of the presence of a loving God. He's here. That's all I can say. I don't know how to explain it to anybody else, but God is with me. When you walk through the fallout with that same joy, though, when all this is crashing and you still got the same joy of the Lord, the Nebuchadnezzars and Chaldeans in your life are going to sit up and take notice. Who's helping her? Who's helping him? Will you be spared entirely from this judgment? Yeah, sometimes. But you can trust that your God is going to do good because he's a good God. Jesus refused to bow to the traditions of the Pharisees, right? Was anybody ever vindicated more than Jesus Christ by his resurrection? But he had to drink the entire cup of wrath to get there. Finding yourself in the furnace because you made a courageous act of obedience is something I think you could live with. This is awful, but you know what? God is with me. I can live with that. Coming to the end now, verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. 
Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He's getting there. <laughs> He's getting there. So the king calls them out, and they come out. They're not singed by the fire. They don't smell like smoke. The only thing that burned up in that fire was the ropes that had tied them up in the first place. Every official saw this. Nebuchadnezzar glorified God. Judaism became a protected religion in the state, and they were promoted. This is what I mean by refusal versus resistance. Resistance is you-sized. Refusal with courage and boldness gives God room to do God-sized stuff. You'll start to see your marriage function like it should. You're going to see these generational sins put to a stop. Your workplace can finally shrug off this weird thing that they've been doing. Entire countries and civilizations can be restored. And if you say, well, not because of my situation, yes, because of your situation. Well, my, I'm only this big, my situation, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the God you serve. It sees that and goes, yes, somebody who said no. Christ in you. God can take an Elijah who stands up and says, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? Maybe that's what some of y'all got to hear. How long are you going to waver back and forth and try and ride the fence? If God is God, serve him. One guy, and what did the Lord do? He brought an end to the cult of Baal among the children of Israel. Now, did Elijah get immediately delivered out of that? No, they tried to assassinate him. But he changed that nation. He can take a John the Baptist. He can take a man like Chuck Smith, who says, I don't care what the other churches are saying. The hippies can come and worship here. I'll baptize them. And I'm not going to make them cut their hair. I'll let them come up on stage with their guitars and sing their new songs to Jesus. I'll let them come in with their bare feet and their messed up hair. I'll let them bring their friends that are strung out on drugs. I'll let them come in so that we can tell them about Jesus. He changed the world. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Stop complaining for everybody to hear. Rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How would you like to have a real relationship with your wife or your husband that isn't wrapped up in all this weird manipulation and trying to make each other do stuff? How would you like to stop knuckling under to your boss every time he says jump, you say how high, regardless of what it's related to? How would you like to see our nation transformed and bowing the knee to Jesus? You've got to live your life like your ripple effects have meaning, brother and sister. When the song plays, when the music comes on, even and especially if you say, well, I don't agree with it, but I've got to go along with it so I can be a better witness. Well, you know you have to actually be a witness to be a witness. Well, eventually, I'll get to the point where I can say something. No, you won't. Satan will let you ride that train your whole life. You've got to use your mouth. Share the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's not in your Bible. It's a point that is sometimes needed, but most of the time, if you're scared, you don't need to hear that. You need to hear to speak up and be loud with it. 
Let the gospel be proclaimed. Because when you step up and you do what's right, your marriage changes and now your family's affected. Not only that, but your extended family, your workplace and all the families in that workplace are affected. And then they start affecting other people. And it goes up the chain even in your job. And now your entire community is different because of what you're doing. And when one community catches the attention of the nation, the nation will change. Other people will see you stepping up and they'll be encouraged to step up and follow after you. Because you took it on the chin, they'll come up and help you and then the whole world is changed because of what you do Christian not because of you but because of the Lord who dwells within you there will always be those who try to compel us to violate the faith or violate our conscience but we must refuse not resist stop with that that's the world that's carnal let's step up and let's fight back no just refuse with a strong no and a courageous commitment. And it's not the same thing as just disagreeing, by the way. I disagree with that. Well, most people usually do disagree with this kind of stuff. But the person that stands up and says no catches attention. But when you do that, you give God a chance to work. You step out and you try something God-sized. How big is God? Is it big enough? Once you've lost everything, you are a world beater, my friend. And that dysfunctional family, that carnal church, that workplace, that country, they lose all their power over you when you've died to yourself. Our Lord, the one we worship, the one that we imitate, was a man who refused to bow the knee and did not resist, but took the punishment and in so doing saved us all. So today, y'all, some of you, you got to make that phone call. You've got to initiate that conversation. You've got to get home. You've got to say, honey, can I talk to you for a minute? Babe, we've got to talk. We have to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it. We're going to. We have to. Initiate that conversation. Make that phone call. Deliver that memo to your boss. Be prepared to die. Many of us are prepared to die. We're not afraid to live. Or we're not prepared to live, I should say. Because one day there will be another image from the Antichrist demanding worship. And there will be myriads who resist. Don't you want to be like that? Those who overcame, overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. To wrap up our study, they brought Polycarp before the proconsul. He said, I have wild beasts. I will throw them to you unless you change your mind. But Polycarp said, call for them then. Then the proconsul said again, I will have you consumed by fire since you despise the wild beasts unless you change your mind. But Polycarp said, you threaten with a fire that burns only briefly and after just a while is extinguished for you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment which is reserved for the ungodly. But why do you delay? Come do what you wish. Let's stand with all the martyrs who've gone before and all those who remain to be counted in the future. Live every day in the liberty of the Spirit with nobody telling you what to do except Jesus, as we know we should. And may we demonstrate to the world that as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, the only thing that compels a Christian is the love of Jesus Christ.